0: than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. the place where the king's prisoners were confined. The word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, church. Thank you, Robin. Thank you, Jolene. I could uh, almost hear Joseph singing that song. As we've been studying the life of Joseph over the last number of weeks, we find ourselves... uh, Again, turning our attention to some verses in Genesis chapter 39 that Robin read for us. Just a, a quick word, um, at the ushers' tables, there's a little sermon note sheets like this if you're interested in taking some notes, and this is particularly true for those of you who are in grade 5 and 6, is who during the summer will be staying in the service. If you take some notes and give it to any one of your uh, children's ministry leaders, uh, you'll be uh, eligible for a treat, so you can do that. There's also a word search puzzle there that's based on the scripture passage that we're looking at, and so if you want to... Again, that's just for the grade fives and sixes, so nobody else get any any ideas of something that you might find find interesting. It's interesting to me how quickly the summer goes. Um have you noticed the days are already getting shorter? What a downer, eh? I, I mean really, um after June twenty-first, right? We're the days are getting shorter all the way till December twenty-first, uh the shortest day of the year. Um as we head into the summer months uh the days go by so quickly i always like to say about sundays they come around with amazing regularity and so uh, that's true i guess of any day right where uh, all for us as a church staff so much of what we do there's things that obviously take place but a lot of what we're doing during the week is kind of preparing for sunday and then monday comes and we start to prepare for the following sunday and it just kind of goes over and over and then the weeks can go by very quickly and so when we started this series in Joseph, we said, well, it's going to be 12 weeks from the middle of June to the beginning of September, and we're already at week four, and before long, we're going to be halfway through and then also heading towards, uh, towards the end. And so this is the story of Joseph. It's his life story. And we've termed it found faithful because if there is a word that you could use to describe the character and the heart of Joseph, it's this word faithfulness. We find him being faithful in some of the most difficult circumstances that life might throw at us. You can find his story in Genesis 37 through 50, and today we're in chapter 39. Now we do want each of these messages, in a sense, to stand on its own. But when we're when we're telling somebody's story, there's a narrative that's unfolding that that we do need to kind of keep in mind and and say, okay, this is where we've come from. And so, where we've we come from already, and what do we know about the life and times of Joseph so far? We learned that as a child, he grew up in a household. His dad was Jacob. Jacob favored him. So Joseph was that, you know, that young son, the, the baby of the family, as it were, who every, like the dad just doted on and he loved him. And there was many reasons for why that was true. But his status as the favorite child continued into his teens. And of course, by this time now, his older brothers are getting sick and tired of this. Their resentment actually moves to hate, and they determine that they need to get rid of him. And Pastor Ken, in the first message of this series, introduced us then to Joseph's family and to Jacob, his father. His brothers, as I said, they wanted to kill him. They make a decision, though, that instead they're just going to sell him into slavery. And so as a young teen, he's 17 years old at that time, he's sold into slavery and he's taken 450 kilometers from Israel to Egypt. There, uh, was an unexpected journey and Pastor Adam, uh, had us look at that unexpected journey and what happens in, in our lives in those kind of situations. While in Egypt, he finds himself at an auction, a slave auction. And he's picked up by a man named Potiphar. He's an official of Pharaoh. He's the captain of the guard, and so he's a high-ranking official. Uh, he probably was in charge of the, uh, maybe the military in some way, or maybe oversaw the, the prisons uh, in in the country. And so this is this is now uh, the new master for, for for Joseph. And the Lord protected Joseph, and and He blessed all that He did. And so even in this household of Potiphar. He's quickly promoted, and he becomes second in command only next to Potiphar himself. And last week, Pastor Quinn had us uh, think about Joseph's faithfulness in all of these various circumstances of life. And so, very quickly, in just a few chapters and in a few messages, we go from this 17-year-old young boy, this teenager who is hated by his brothers, to a 27-year-old man Um, and things are about to get very interesting. You see, what makes Joseph's life story, I think, so relevant is that it's a true story that we can relate to. One of my favorite movies, I don't actually watch a whole lot of movies, but when I do, I love to watch true stories because I feel like there's something that I can identify and connect with. And this is a true story of 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 a man that was faithful in his life. And Joseph faced some of the very same issues that we face today. He He was betrayed and mistreated by his siblings, no less. He he, he was dealt with unfairly, as we're going to see. He was faced with sexual temptation. He was raised in this dysfunctional family that even after the passing of many years, it didn't seem to get any better for Joseph's family. And what's important for us to see is how he responded to some really brutal life circumstances. And instead of responding with resentment and rage and bitterness and revenge and blaming others, he remained faithful, and he was the ultimate model of integrity and forgiveness. It really is a remarkable true story that I think is inspiring, and it encourages, and it challenges, and sometimes, like today, I think it even convicts. And so... In spite of why and how Joseph ended up in Potiphar's households, things are now going relatively well for him. The blessing of God is so obvious, not just for Joseph, but also for Potiphar. The blessing of Joseph's life, it, it basically spilled over onto Potiphar and everything that Potiphar had. And I'm not sure why this is the case, but it often seems that when things are going really well in life, something happens to further develop our character. And that's where we pick up the story this morning, because it's what we're going to learn today is that there is a time to run. Now, if you ever thought that the Bible was boring and irrelevant, I hope that today's message will change that. Perhaps you've already lifted a, an eyebrow when, uh, when uh, Robin was reading the, the passage for us this mo- morning, maybe even squirmed a little bit, and you're thinking to yourself, I've got a grade five student uh, sitting next to me. What are you going to do with this? And so maybe it's a little bit uncomfortable. But the reality is that we all deal with temptation of one kind or another. Clearly here in this context, it is about sexual temptation, but temptation is not limited to that area of our lives. We can be tempted by material things, right? It it, it might be the temptation. It could be something as large as a house or maybe as small as a ring, like a new car or a new couch if you're into decorating and designing and something catches your eye as you're walking through the mall. We may be tempted by personal things. Right? A lust for status or recognition, fame or power. And I think it's important to state right up front what temptation is and what it is not. Temptation is defined as an enticement to sin. Temptation itself is not sin. And it's very important to make that distinction. It's one thing to be tempted. It's another thing to give in to that temptation. Martin Luther used to say that you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep them from nesting in your hair. It's true, right? Temptation is the bait. Sin is the bite. Every sin is preceded by a temptation. And so what can we learn from Joseph's life this morning about temptation? How can we better understand temptation? Because when we can understand it, then we can know better what we're dealing with and then to prepare for it and to resist it. So we're going to look at understanding temptation and resisting temptation. The first thing that I want to say about temptation is that it is subtle. It's often very subtle. And we're told in these opening verses that Joseph was well built and handsome. Okay? There's a description of us for what Joseph physically looked like. We might say that he was easy on the eyes. And so not surprisingly... Joseph catches the eye of Potiphar's wife. Verse 7 says that she took notice of Joseph. The King James Version says she cast her eyes on Joseph. And so here's this new, handsome, well-built slave. He's conscientious. He's responsible. He, You know, Potiphar is elevated. He says, man, this is the best slave I've ever had. And he's talking him up at home. And guess what? One day... Mrs. Potiphar lays eyes on Joseph. And she notices, man, he's well-built. He's handsome. And she looks. And she looks again. And before long, she can't stop looking. And the New Living Translation cuts right to the chase and says, she soon began to look at him lustfully. So desire had been conceived. You see, there's this subtleness to temptation. It doesn't seem like much at first, but something catches our eye. And we look again. And it may not seem like much at first, but it's a start. Friends, that's all that temptation needs. A subtle desire that is planted in our heart. Oftentimes, we're almost unaware of it. It's so subtle but there's something planted in our heart. second thing we can say about temptation is that it's strong. Now, there's absolutely nothing subtle about Mrs. Potiphar. She uses one of those classic Egyptian lines, come to bed with me. Now, if you're thinking she just wanted to cuddle with him, you just go ahead and keep thinking that. But this is as strong as a come on as you will find anywhere. It's almost shocking, isn't it? But let's just think about this for a moment. Mrs. Potiphar herself is likely a very beautiful woman. She's part of the elite of society. Egyptian culture was quite sensual. She, she may have even been showing a fair amount of skin. In fact, I was thinking, oh, I, I should find a graphic that goes with this. And so there was all these artist renditions, most of which I couldn't show. Unless you like that kind of art. But she's seductive. And she just flat out invites Joseph, in the strongest of terms, to commit adultery. Has that been your experience with temptation? It's just so subtle at first. It doesn't seem like much. You don't even see it coming. And then wham! How does that happen? Where does it come from? Can I suggest to you that it happens when we feed lust at the level of our imagination? When, when something catches our eye and we keep thinking about it and then suddenly we're drawn in that we, and, and, and we start to think we might even have the opportunity to engage in this, this thing that we're imagining. And so quickly it moves from just being this subtle thing to just being this force that grabs you. And so temptation is subtle, it's strong, and it usually is sustained in a few moments, we're going to look at how Joseph resisted and remained faithful in view of the ongoing temptation he faced. But for now, I want you to notice that this come on wasn't a one-time thing. Verse 10 tells us that Mrs. Potiphar kept after Joseph day after day. Day after day. She was just relentless about this. And I I wonder if Joseph's earlier refusal had made him even more desirable. That maybe this was now a game for her. That that, that maybe now he was a tougher catch. And if she could catch him and reel him in, then she really had a conquest. I, I wish we knew what she said to Joseph. The text doesn't tell us. It just says that she spoke to Joseph every day. Now, she might have been asking, hey, Joseph, what's for breakfast? But the context makes it clear that her earlier invitation was still open. So maybe she started to say things like, hey, Joseph, I stand by my invitation. Anytime you're ready, I'm ready. Hey, Joseph, have you been thinking about me? I sure have been thinking about you. Hey, Joseph, who would ever know? Every day, day after day, she's just relentless in her pursuit of Joseph. And when temptation is sustained like that, it has a way of wearing you down. So temptation is subtle, it's strong, it's sustained, and it's also strategic. In verse 11 we read, One day he, that's Joseph, went into the house to attend his du- to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. See what's happening? Got the picture? Suddenly, on this day, no one else is around. Usually the household is overrun with servants, but not on this day. And the question that immediately comes to my mind is, did Mrs. Potter first set this up? Maybe, maybe she thought that Joseph was only refusing her consistent advances because others were always around and they would find out. If that was true, then she needed to be a little more strategic with her temptation. Friends, let's make no mistake about this. I think a message like this is so important because we have to understand that we, as followers of Jesus, have an enemy, the devil, who is ruthless and he's strategic in temptation. And he will set the perfect trap for each of us. He'll place the perfect bait all in an effort to cause us to sin. And in doing so, he'll whisper untruths about that sin to make it seem appealing. You deserve this. No one will know. Just this one time. And this time, the house is empty. It's just Joseph and Mrs. Potiphar. And she grabs him by his cloak and once again repeats the invitation, come to bed with me. Right? There's nothing subtle or seductive about this. She wants him, she wants him bad, and she's prepared to tear off his cloak if he has to. We can learn a lot about temptation as we see this scene in the life of Joseph unfold. Temptation is subtle, it's strong, it's sustained, and it's strategic. But what can we learn about resisting temptation by looking at how Joseph responded to this? First thing we can say about resisting temptation is that we must be decisive. We need to be decisive. You see, when Mrs. Potiphar first approached Joseph, and invited him into a physical relationship, his response was immediate and decisive. Scripture says he refused, okay? He said No. And my sense is that Joseph had already settled this issue in his mind. He believed, as the Bible clearly teaches, that all sex outside of marriage is contrary to God's will. That it is sin. And Joseph had already determined that if he ever found himself tempted to do wrong, that he was going to refuse. That he would turn away. That he would walk away. So friends, let me be blunt about this unless we settle in our minds how we will respond to a given situation before we find ourselves in that situation, we will not be able to resist the temptation. This is not something that you can do in the heat of the moment. And so students, singles, even married folk, determine right now that anything outside of marriage is sin. Be decisive about it. Be determined so that when that temptation comes, you can resist. Secondly, and it follows, we must be clear about right and wrong. We must have our own ethical and moral standards clearly defined. Listen to Joseph's explanation of right and wrong. Picking it up in verse 9, he says this, No one is greater in this house than I am, other than Potiphar. My master, he says, has withheld nothing from me except you. Why, he says? Because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And so simply put, Joseph responds to her invitation and says, You know what? This is not right. It's not right. Someone with lower ethical and moral standards, they might have thought that this was okay. This was a great opportunity. It feels good. Just do it. And would have gone along with it. But not Joseph. He's faithful to his convictions. And he clearly outlines right and wrong. He says, you are his wife. In other words, you're a married woman. And so he appeals to her reason. And then he says, how can I then do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And so he appeals to her own conscience. And then the right response would have been from her to go, you know what? You're right. I'm so sorry. What was I thinking? But we know that's not how she responded because she didn't have the same convictions about what was right and about what was wrong. She was obviously a woman of loose morals. And so another thing we can take away from Joseph's statement is that sexual sin is not just a private matter between two consenting adults. Sexual sin is an act of disobedience against God. And once we settle that in our minds, then we can understand that that as a follower of Jesus, we walk in obedience, and so we need to have our convictions about right and wrong, and then be determined to stick to those convictions, no matter how appealing the temptation may be. But we need to be clear about right and wrong. Thirdly, we must be unwavering in our convictions we need to be unwavering in our convictions. You see, it's one thing to be decisive and clear about right and wrong. But you also meet, need to be determined never, ever to waver. Right? It's just, I will never surrender. That's the attitude. Temptation is often sustained and relentless, as we saw it was for Joseph. We already saw in verse 10 how, how Mrs. Potiphar went to Joseph day after day. And the pressure of the temptation was sustained, and yet Joseph never wavered. He was determined not to let it happen. He wasn't going to compromise. He wasn't prepared to rationalize. Others without his predetermined conviction might well have found ways to rationalize, right? Well, you know what? Maybe just this once. It wouldn't... can't be that bad, can it? After all, I mean, Potiphar did leave me in charge of everything. And I mean, I could just claim that, that I assumed that that meant his wife as well. Listen, friends, if it's wrong the first time, it's wrong every time. So we need to be unwavering in our convictions. Fourthly, we must take practical steps to avoid temptation. Take practical steps to avoid temptation. You see, it's one thing to be determined, to be clear about right and wrong, to be unwavering. Those are decisions that we make in our heads. It's a decision of the will. But sometimes we also have to be really practical. Joseph was, because not only did he refuse to go to bed with Joseph's wife, he refused to even be with her. Seems like such a simple thing, but you see what he did? He realized that this woman was relentlessly pursuing him, and the only thing that he could do was take a practical step to even avoid being in her presence. He knew that she was dangerous. And he knew that he, he you know that he may have had these predetermined convictions, but now he took preventative measures, it met, uh, measures, he said, you know, I know what I'll do, he said to myself, I'm just gonna avoid all contact with her. Perhaps this is why she made plans to give all the other servants the day off. Just as she was strategic in creating a specific situation, Joseph was equally strategic in avoiding her. And often that is exactly what we need to do as well. We need to take practical steps to avoid the tempting situations deciding in advance not to put yourself in a compromising place or situation because you can have all the convictions you want but the best way to absolutely resist temptation is to avoid it in the first place come on i mean we're intelligent people right you can figure this out think of the places that you are faced with temptation the most can you avoid going there what about the things that you see? What are the things that you, you you look at? What are the things that catch your eye? Can you avoid looking at those things? When you're traveling alone for work, can you take someone with you or admit to a few close friends of the struggle that you may face and then have them pray for you and then ask about your trip when you return? How about putting the computer in an open location in the house? you see it takes courage to be practical take practical steps to avoid temptation in the first place and lastly we must run when it's time to run we must run when it's time to run the one time joseph finds himself in a compromising situation it's even you could argue a promising situation, right? No one is around. No one really would know. And Potiphar's wife is all over him. I mean, can we appreciate even for a little bit just how tempting this would have been for Joseph? He's a 27-year-old, single, red-blooded male, handsome, well-built. And he's all alone with a gorgeous woman that has been in relentless pursuit of him. It was probably flattering to Joseph. It stoked his ego. It would have been a conquest. Verse 12. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. That's what Joseph did. Now, pure speculation here, full disclosure, but I wonder if just for a moment, while there's this internal battle raging in Joseph's mind, he's actually really tempted, strongly tempted to give in to this temptation. And so he's running through all of his moral and ethical convictions. He knows that he has had these unwavering convictions for so long. And even he had already taken steps to not even be alone with her. But now she's pulled him in close by his cloak. And she whispers again the invitation that he had heard before and refused. But he knows the conditions are right. The situation is intense and the temptation is powerful. He starts to remove his cloak. But he knows that it's time to run. And so he runs, leaving his cloak in her hands because he knew it was better for him to lose his cloak than to lose his character. His actions are consistent with what the Bible teaches. Think about, this this is what the Bible says about running in these situations. 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul is speaking to his protege Timothy, and he says, flee the evil desires of youth. Flee, run. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 10.13, which is probably one of the the best-known verses about temptation you'll find anywhere. The temptations in your life, he says, are no different from what others experience. You're not alone. You're not alone. And God is faithful because God is with you. And He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, not if you are tempted, but when you are tempted, He will show a way out. There's going to be a way out so that you can endure. And you take that way out and you run. You run. So The only question is, will we? Will we be committed to faithfulness in the face of temptation? See, we understand that Temptation that Joseph faced. We understand how he resisted that temptation. But we can learn from both of those. But what we see in his response is a commitment to integrity and faithfulness to God in the midst of the temptation. You see, he did the right thing, not because he might be rewarded for his obedience, but because he knew it was the right thing to do. And that's what God requires of us. It's always right to do the right thing regardless of the cost. And there was a tremendous cost for Joseph. Mrs. Potiphar was a scorned woman. So she falsely accused Joseph of trying to take advantage of her. She made up a story. She used Joseph's cloak as circumstantial evidence. She told the other household servants what Joseph tried to do to her. She lied to her husband, who then had no choice but to throw Joseph into prison. Man, you talk about unfair. First he finds himself in a pit thrown by his brothers. Now he's thrown in prison by a man who had held him previously in quite high esteem. If there was ever an opportunity for a pity party, Joseph had it. Right, he could have said, "Ah, oh, God, I did what was right. I was faithful to you, and this is what I get." And instead, we read that God was with Joseph, even in prison. Just listen to these last three verses. There were remarkable words of encouragement, comfort, and hope that even when we're treated unfairly and we commit ourselves to faithfulness in the face of temptation, this is what the Word says. Verse 21. God showed him, that's Joseph, kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Do you see that? Even in prison, the Lord was with Joseph. And he extended his kindness and his grace to Joseph. And again, the Lord blessed Joseph and he gave him success in whatever he did. You see, when it's time to run... You have to believe that God will honor and bless you for your faithfulness. But that you still may find yourself in less than ideal circumstances. And that is the true test of faithfulness. It's one thing to be faithful when things are going well. But it's an entirely another thing to be faithful in difficult circumstances. And so once again, Joseph is found faithful. So... What are we taking home today? I hope you've already had a few nuggets along the way, but let me just try to put it in the context of this. How does this message help us to know Jesus? What is it that we can know about Jesus? Well, we, can find, we, we, we know that He is faithful. He keeps His promises. He shows kindness. He extends grace to those who seek to follow Him. And we should know this that even when we do give in to temptation, He is there offering grace and forgiveness. And what it requires on our part is to come to a God and to say, God, I'm sorry, what I did was wrong. I acknowledge that now. Help me to turn from that sin. And the Word says that if we uh, confess our sins, that He is faithful and just and willing to forgive us. And he's able to forgive us because of what we're going to remember here in just a few moments. We remember his death, that he died on the cross for us. He paid the penalty for our sins. And through faith and trust in him, he offers us forgiveness of our sins. It's a wonderful exchange. That is what we can know about Jesus today. And how do I walk this out? Well, first, I just want to say that I think we need to determine, be decisive to do the right thing no matter what the cost. There's going to be a cost. You know, if if you're a high school student and the conversation turns to these issues and you say, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm a virgin, they'll laugh at you, they'll mock you, they'll tease you. But are you prepared for that cost, knowing that it's the right thing? Second thing that we can do is maybe you ought to consider getting into a triad. Finding two other people of the same gender and share with them the areas where you are most vulnerable, where you are most susceptible to temptation. And then pray for one another in those areas. Encourage one another and strengthen one another. And then lastly, how does this message help me to share Jesus? Know this, that the character of our lives The opportunity that we have to take the presence of Jesus wherever we go. Just like Joseph did when he was in Potiphar's household and when he was in prison. He had a powerful impact on those closest to him. And friends, when we bring integrity and faithfulness to our everyday lives, people can't help but notice. And so think about those things. How do I live this out in a practical way? And so as we gather around this table this morning... We just invite you to give thanks for His grace. Maybe you know in a message like this, you know, it triggered things. It reminded you of things. Maybe there's even things you're like, I didn't realize that that was even sin. And suddenly now the Spirit of God is convicting you of that. You can ask for His forgiveness and know that He offers His grace and forgiveness to you. And so take this time to thank God, to prepare your heart, to ask Him to search your heart, and ask Him to help you as you commit to living lives of integrity and holiness. I'm going to invite Pastor Quinn is going to come and lead us in communion. The worship team is going to come and lead some songs during that time. But let me just pray as we transition to communion. Father, thank You that Your Word can be so relevant to the issues that we face thousands of years later after these events happen in the life of Joseph. Father, when we look at what he experienced in his life in Potiphar's household, we thank you that there are just such, there's just such clarity about what temptation is like and how Joseph then resisted that temptation. Father, I pray that we would look at the temptations we face. They can be anything, but we're not alone. These temptations are common. Help us to know that in the temptation itself, it's not sin. It's only when we take the bait and indulge the lust of our eyes, the lust of our hearts. So, Father, just in a very simple, clear, direct way. Father, show us the areas where we most need your help. and Then give us the grace to sustain us in it. In Jesus' name we pray.